0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Today we conclude our mini-series on discipleship. We've been called by Christ through the word of the gospel, and we've been made Jesus' disciples. We've been commissioned as his witnesses to bring the word to bear within our vocations. And last week, we heard a little bit about how the life of discipleship isn't easy, and that the path that Christ calls us to is paved with trouble. And even though that's the case, even though living in this sinful world, it's full of trouble and trials on account of Christ, Jesus' presence and his promises are what give us great endurance and joy. Now, last week was kind of tough. Today is really going to test our mettle as Jesus' followers and it's going to cause us to examine our commitment to Him versus our commitment to everything else. And although today's passage is just as challenging as last week's, it's important for us to remember why God tests us through His Word. When the Holy Spirit brings the the demands of the law to bear on our lives through the Word, He does so not so that we will give up on the Christian faith, but so that we will turn to Him for strength and for comfort. God tests our faith not to break it, but to strengthen it. To strengthen it and to give us more resolve in this world full of sin and unbelief. That's what Jesus' words are about today. Because Christ has claimed you as His own through the promise of the Gospel, the Holy Spirit has created faith in your heart. That faith that clings to Christ and His benefits, everything that He has won for us through His death and through His resurrection. And this faith that has been given to you by the Holy Spirit, this faith is a living and active faith. Because the Holy Spirit who tends to your faith daily is living and active. And as Jesus' disciple, as you As you continue to sit under his teaching and under his tutelage, the job of the spirit is to continue to shape your faith, to continue to feed it and strengthen it, and to continue to conform it to Christ's word and his work. So, as you grow in Christ, as you continue to to progress in your discipleship, you actually Produce those fruits of faith in a life of good works and holy living. So that's one piece. But not only that, not only do you produce those fruits of faith, but you actually grow in your resolve, in your steadfastness in the face of opposition. As the heat gets cranked up in the culture, as you face difficult decisions on account of your faith within your job or with respect to family even, as we're going to talk about it today, the Holy Spirit's work in your life gives you that resolve in the face of those difficulties. And the Holy Spirit brings His Word in such a way that it produces this unwavering and unconditional resolve to follow Jesus Because Jesus has an unwavering and unconditional claim on our lives. See, the idea here is that the call of the gospel means that you have been set apart. You've been consecrated by Christ. You've been plucked out of the kingdom of darkness and you've been placed within Christ's kingdom under his reign and rule. And that means that you're different. That means that you are now used for God's holy purposes. That's what it means to be consecrated. 1 Corinthians 6 talks about it this way. It says, you are washed, you are sanctified, consecrated, set apart. You are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. That is, In the waters of holy baptism, Christ has separated you out from the rest of the world as his own. He has consecrated you. He has made you holy. You have died to everything to sin, death, and the world. In baptism, you have been raised anew with him so that you may live under him and serve him. That's you. Your old identity as a child of wrath is gone even though you don't always realize it, and even though you sometimes live like a child of hell, that's not you anymore. You've been given a complete change of status. You've been made a citizen of heaven. And because of that wonderful news, friends, it means a complete reorientation of your allegiances. Your consecration to Christ now means that you are committed to him for better or for worse. But his word reveals that living in this sin-filled world will often test that commitment. In our gospel text today, Jesus immediately takes off our rose-colored glasses. He says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. What in the world? I thought that, I thought that Jesus was the prince of peace. Didn't the the angel announce at the Savior's birth peace on earth? Did he not say that? Well, Jesus did come to bring peace to the earth. He came to bring peace between God and man. And that peace, that, that shalom is the word, will be fully manifested and will be fully realized at his return. And that's why you and I pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus, because we want to see that peace in its fullness. We want to see it manifested as God promises us in his word whenever Christ returns. But during this present age, as we live within this veil of tears the peace that the gospel brings, the good news of Christ crucified and risen for sinners, that message is often met with scorn, hatred. Those twin children of the devil. And it's upon the kingdom of the devil that Christ has come to wage war. The sword that he mentions He has come to bring the sword of God's word to declare the forgiveness of sins for his sake and to call sinners to repentance and faith. And as we heard last week, Jesus' message is often despised and rejected by those closest to home, even members of our own families. He continues, For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, And a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. It hits really close to home, doesn't it? You see this type of thing all the time. Uh, Whenever a Muslim converts to Christianity, it's often the case that the parents will, will disown that person, right? They will disown them, they will consider them dead. I'm convinced that more Muslims would come to Christ if they did not face such a terrible obstacle and such a horrific prospect of being completely cut off from social life and from their family's life. Some of you know what it's like to have an unbelieving spouse and the strife and the tension that that can cause in your marriage, that that division. You know what it's like to, to see... Uh, you know what it's like to see to it that your that your grandchild or your child is raised in the Christian faith only to grow up and 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 grow to despise the God that you taught them to love I know that it hurts Jesus knows it hurts and nonetheless Jesus calls us to remain faithful to him this is a test, friends, not to break us, but to strengthen our resolve. Jesus says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And ho- whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. This is Jesus making sure that our priorities and our allegiances are properly in order. It's important that we understand this. Uh, Amid a culture where, where the nuclear family is being sacrificed on the altar of progress. So listen to me whenever I say that it's good, right, and salutary that we do what we can to promote the importance of family. Because it's God's institution, it's God's idea, and it's for the health and the well-being of our society. You should be pro-family, according to God's word and his design. But the family, your family, is not your highest allegiance. Your family is not the most important thing in your life. Christ is. And whenever you understand that, because your family is a wonderful gift, but it isn't God, when you understand that, you put your family in its rightful place. You see, Christ isn't calling you to love your family less. He's actually calling you to love him more. And what he's doing right here through his word is he's taking your family off the throne of your heart, and he is putting himself there. That's where he belongs. And when we understand that, we begin to see our family for the gift that it is. It's not meant to be your God. It's not meant to bear that weight. If you put the expectations of a God upon your family, it will crush your family. Your family is a wonderful gift, but it makes a terrible God. So as parents... Just to get practical, as parents, the best thing that you can probably teach your kids is that they are not the center of your home or your life. Christ is. Uh, For spouses in the room, you, you are called to live this same principle out within your vocations as husbands and wives. Christ gets the gold medal, Christ gets the priority. His claim on your life means eternal life and the life of the world to come. Your marriage is momentary. It's one of the most important things in your life, but it is not the most. Because you've been consecrated. You owe your highest allegiance to the one who has bled and died for every single one of your sins and has seated you in the heavenly places in him. And as I said before, in a world filled with sin, this allegiance will will often be tested with loss after loss after loss. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. But on this 4th of July weekend, it's important that we remember as well. We have many military personnel in the room. We have people in here that deeply love our country. I do too. I love our country. What a tremendous gift it is. But it is not God. It's not. Your highest allegiance isn't even to your fellow countrymen. It's to Christ. It's to his kingdom on earth in the church. We have an allegiance to our country. We have an allegiance. We have obligations to our neighbors, to love them, to serve them, to protect them and care for them. But let's get our priorities straight, right? So here's what Christ tells us about being tested Um, through loss in our life. God permits us to endure these crosses, as he says in the text, whoever doesn't take up his cross is not worthy of me. We have these crosses in our lives so that, not because God has abandoned you and not because he doesn't care for you, we have crosses so that we would be conformed to the image of our Savior, the one in whom we have eternal life. And there are times in the Christian life where it just feels like suffering. And that's it. Suffering and more suffering. But Christ said that would happen. And when it does, there's this beautiful promise. Here's what he said. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. When you take up your cross... you find that you let go of a lot of other stuff. Even the notion that your family is the most important thing in your life. And it can be painful. But at the end of it all, we find the one who lost everything for our sakes. Some of you know what this is like to experience great loss as a Christian. Uh, now, as an American Christian, I, I can't say that I've, I've experienced a whole lot of loss for the sake of Christ, but I have gotten a taste of it. When I was in my early 20s, I had a best friend, and we would spend at least one day out of the week together. We worked in the same music shop. We played in a band together. We actually we loved each other. We actually used that word for each other. We would say, "I love you," you know. And we weren't too proud. And we had much in common, including our Christian faith. And one day, he severed all contact with me. They call this today ghosting, right? He wouldn't answer calls or texts. He wouldn't respond to my invites to hang out or to do anything. And like I said, our relationship was like clockwork. I would spend every single Monday with him. We would go to work together. We would, I would stay at his house, all this stuff. And whenever I finally got a hold of him, about a month later, he said that he didn't want to be a Christian anymore. He told me that he was embarrassed by how he handled the interaction with me. And while he was kind of sorry about that, he made it clear that he couldn't be my friend on account of my Christian faith. I forgave him, and that was that. I was dating Corey at the time. She cried with me. I had a Christian brother at church who cried with me because it it felt like losing a family member. That's how close we were. And I still miss the guy. But passages like these remind me of the sweetness of Christ's promise in his ongoing presence with those whom he has consecrated to himself. He says, whoever receives you, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. You see, as we've been called and and, and sent and commissioned by Christ, we are not guaranteed, Christ has not promised that we are going to be liked. He has not promised that we are going to have the deepest of friendships with the world. He has not promised that we are going to be successful. We are not guaranteed any of that. We are not guaranteed peace with any of our family members. But what we cling to here is that Christ goes. With us. Whoever receives you receives me. He goes with us. Because he has promised that those who receive the faithful receive him. In this life of loss, where there is scorn and hatred for the gospel, Christ attaches himself to losers. And not just losers, but losers for his sake. And even though we should lose everything for his sake, Jesus calls us blessed. And that's good enough for us. Here's what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3. This is why he could say this kind of crazy thing. He says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Here's what Paul wanted more than anything in the world. This was his, his, his highest allegiance, and this is your highest allegiance, brothers and sisters, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death that is discipleship that is following christ it's not some half-hearted endeavor following christ whenever it's convenient and safe but it's a realization of who we belong to and the magnitude of what he has done to win us for himself. And because of his sufferings on our account, we consider it a joy to suffer any loss for the sake of knowing him. That's our goal. That's the goal of our families. That's what we orient everything around. That's what we communicate to our children That's what we communicate to our spouses, whoever we've got in our families. Christ is on the throne, and our allegiance belongs to him. And because of that, we will never lose our reward of eternal life in him, in his kingdom, which has no end. Christ says, whoever gives one of these little ones a cup of water, a cup of cold water because he's a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So we walk with our fellow disciples on the way to the cross, loving and supporting one another, helping one another to endure loss for the sake of Christ, that we may press on to glory. And when our Lord returns, he will show us that what we have lost for his sake pales in comparison to what awaits us in eternity. In the name of the Father,